For those of you who may not have joined us before for these weekly gatherings, this is the eighth year of Sunset Vita, so designated because we're in the sixth chapter, uh, because we do one verse a week, and we often detour away from <laughs> the chronolo chronological verses to have um, special programs. I think you could probably close that window. Thank you. Um, we are uh, very lucky to have an extra special guest this evening. Um, I've known Rabindra Saroop since he was a lad, actually, actually <laughs> since we were in Knickers, uh, going back to the 70s. And um, uh, I, he, he may not like to hear this, it'll make him uncomfortable, but I would argue that he is certainly among the most important bhakti theologians in the world today. His books, writings, and research into the history of the Gaudi Vaishnava tradition and the philosophical structure beneath authentic yoga practice, let me put it that way, uh, is, uh, I don't know if I can think of anyone who has done as much important work in recent years. You have to go back to some of the big names in the field. All right, now I'm done with all of that stuff, so you can relax. Um, so it's a great favor to me and a great honor for all of us that Ravinder has agreed to, to join us here this evening. Would you please join me in welcoming our guest, Ravinder Sroop, to Jiva Mukti Yoga. Uh, we've settled on the following format. The Republican candidate will go first. <laughs> we'll, uh, uh, Ravindra will give a more formal presentation for the first part. Then I'll get to ask him a few indiscreet questions. And then we'll open this up to a general Q&A. How does that sound? Sound good? All right. By the way, Ravindra, just by way of <clears throat> not throwing you off the deep end of the pool, most of the people here are dear friends and regulars at our gathering. Mm -hmm. uh, Arjuna here, who is the son of my dear and oldest friend, Prahlada uh, Priya, is in New York for the time being. We have other devotees from the Bhakti Center, as you can see. Uh, Russell gets the brass figligi with gold leaf clusters for the longest commute to class, <laughs> coming in as he does from Rhode Island, where he's a psychiatrist there. Uh, Shraddha has come from Washington with Ravindra. Uh, Hari Suri, a very distinguished guest as well this evening, a dear friend. Uh, w uh, would you say the linchpin in the Mayapur project? Certainly one of the core people there. The lynched pin, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's very. <laughs> yes. well, he's one of the core people. <laughs> well, that's your humility coming out. But um, the place where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the inaugurator of the bhakti movement in, 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 uh, in the modern world, uh, is being built under the express wishes of our initiating guru, Srila Prabhupada, into a city. Mayapur is a city now. I don't know how many buildings and projects going on there. It's immense. It's breathtaking what's going on. Hari Suri is certainly at the core of that. In addition to which, he has established, I, I would venture to say, correct me if I'm mistaken, but the most important archive for original bhakti literature in the world in Calcutta. Certainly for the, the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition, but you have manuscripts going back hundreds and hundreds of years. And uh, so critically important important work uh, to the uh, establishing of the, uh, the, the credentials and the foundation of devotion as an authentic path to God uh, in the current age. Uh, of course, our dear beloved Julius here. Cher, uh, who's the uh, kind of the uh, in charge of set design and choreography for our production. <laughs> uh, so, welcome one and all. 
the microphone is yours. Uh, well, my uh, assigned topic, uh, science and religion, which you can go with that in many, many different ways. I guess that's a hot topic, uh, at least in the United States of America. Um, there's the new atheists, as they call themselves. I think of the, the uh, global village atheists. Uh, the same old atheism, but uh, on, a, on a different platform. Uh, and uh, we have that kind of uh, atheism. And then religion, uh, in at least the United States, seems to be a particular brand of Christianity, uh, sometimes called fundamentalism which actually I was quite uh, liberally exposed to in my youth growing up part of the time in Texas and Oklahoma and places like that. So, um, and so it's, it's with us. Um, I would uh, want, want, want to, we think of them as entirely disjunct activities. Uh, people. A lot of people believe, you know, religion is a holdover from the old times of superstition and darkness before we began to make advancement. And, uh, you know, now we don't need it anymore. We have science which tells us the, the truth of everything. Science, as in that sense, began, began as a kind of uh, uh, enlightenment project. And basically, it, uh, people found out, Isaac Newton found out, that if you start to deal with the world in terms of numbers, uh, you can do lots of things, you find things out. And so modern material science abstracts from our experience in terms of numbers. How can we express what happens? We weigh it, we time it, we measure it, and we try to express the world in terms of numbers. And it turns out to be quite a useful activity. Of course, it went back to the Greeks, the, the geometry, and, and so on. And, and actually, the Vedas also had those kind of measuring sciences. But this now became the, the key to all and everything. Uh, uh, and uh, it works, we get a lot of technology, we got these little things sitting around and we believe in science because the iPhone is so cool. Uh, uh, and we couldn't do it without it. Formerly, people had memories. <laughs> so, <laughs> even Plato complained about the use of writing because it destroyed people's memories. <laughs> You go, this complaint goes way back. Uh, uh, so this is, this is modern material science to deal with the world insofar as you can express it in terms of numbers. And it's useful to do that. No, no doubt about it. Uh, no doubt, doubt about that. But they also go a little further. Uh, if you can express it in terms of numbers, it doesn't exist. That's a and that's not just science, that's an ideology about science, I would say. Because how do you know that? What's your claim? What's the basis for that claim? Uh, uh, so we have the experience of the world, and then we abstract from that experience just in terms of quantity. But the problem that this effort faces is how do you quantify experience itself? That is to say, consciousness. Consciousness is the thing that really haunts science. It's the ghost in the machine that people have been trying to exorcise for quite some time. And what you see, especially if you've been reading the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, it's a science about consciousness. Uh, and, and in this case, we use the word science in a slightly different sense. Srila uh, uh, Prabhupada uses the word science to translate, uh, well, 
no, that's not Srila Prabhupada. Actually, it's the standard way in India now. If you want to take the modern word science and translate it into Sanskrit, they use the term vijnana. Uh, and that term vijnana uh, shows up a lot in the Bhagavad Gita. Jnana, which means knowledge, or to be really correct, janana, <laughs> and vijnana, uh, knowledge. And then, then this, this V, V-I in the beginning, uh, the, uh, the Sanskrit V is a kind of uh, uh, all-purpose intensifier. Uh, karma is your bondage to work. Uh, V-karma is really bad karma. <laughs> it's just, uh, like that. So, so uh, if jnana is knowledge, vijnana is some special kind of knowledge. And uh, it's that which is it's applied or practical. Vijnana is theoretically theoretical knowledge that you can learn from a book. Vijnana is when you put it into practice and see by experience. So you can see why modern the word science, modern Western word science, can be translated as vijnana. It's about practice, putting things into 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 action. Uh, so uh, this this idea of experience. Uh, of, of doing things in a systematic way uh, and, and dealing with consciousness that way uh, is so far not considered to be a science, but in the Vedic terms, it, it is a science. And it's, there's definite procedures by which something can uh, take place. Now, now when we... Uh, let me just... Two trains of thought going on here, and I got to stick to one of them. Um, if I just lost it, excuse me. So the the modern view of the world is that in the beginning there are uh, very simple structures of matter that undergo changes. And these very simple structures of matter that undergo changes can be uh, exhaustively, completely described in terms of numbers. Then over the course, and it starts out there very, very simple. You know, you, 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 you have subatomic particles. Somehow or other, they're there. Don't ask where they came from, but somehow they're there. And then over the course of time, again for some kind of unknown reason, these structures of matter become more complicated. And the subatomic particles become atoms, the atoms join together and become molecules and so on. Uh, so this way you can completely describe this again completely in terms of numbers, uh, ultimately. Uh, molecules, you get carbon molecules and the carbon molecules make benzene rings and you begin to get organic, more complicated molecules. So this is what goes on. And then, uh, uh, so you get, eventually you, 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 you get uh, inanimate things and then uh, living things. But then what happens at a certain point time, things get pretty complicated, and then suddenly something else pops into the world, which is not just another structure of matter, but rather the experience of structures of matter. You can't, it just doesn't fit together. They're, they're, in philosophy, you say there's two, there are two different ontological categories. If that's all there is in the world is structures of matter that can be expressed in terms of number, what is the experience of structures of matter? Where does that come from? Uh, that ex to, to be able to undergo experiences means that you are conscious. Uh, and that is the thing that material science has trouble dealing with it. And a lot of people try to exorcise this ghost in the machine. 
it's not really there, it's an epiphenomena, uh, uh, it's been denied uh, to exist, or it's something that somehow or other can be explained away as an illusion, because it's really a problem. Of course, what, what it says in the Bhagavad Gita is, 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 is that there's, Krishna describes this, that there are two energies that come from him. One he calls uh, apara prakriti, inferior prakriti, material energy, and, uh, and then para prakriti, superior energy. Uh, uh, the, the one uh, of what we know as matter, uh, described in the Bhagavad Gita as earth, water, fire, air, and ether or space. Uh, he calls this is my eightfold bina prakriti astada. Uh, uh, and then subtler forms are there, there uh, manas buddhi ahankara, uh, translated mind, intelligence, and, and ego, false ego. These are the eightfold. Then there's the other thing, then it, now I have another energy, and that other energy are, are the living entities, the conscious beings. So it's a separate energies. And these, the confluence of these two energies create the world that we know it. So it is not that life comes from matter, uh, but rather uh, both of these, Krishna say, come from me. And then beyond me, there's nothing further to be known. That's, that's the capsule description of everything that there is in a few verses in the, in the, in, in the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, so this, this consciousness uh, is what really we are dealing with, uh, at least in, in uh, uh, forms of spiritual development that come from, from India. It's about developing, enhancing, refining, and expanding consciousness. And there's a science of consciousness. One book that we've published of Prabhupada's talks and, and writings is called The Science of Self-Realization. That if, that if uh, there, there's something to be done about dealing with consciousness, and really the Bhagavad Gita, a large part of it, is, is about that uh, is about that science people don't know uh, that there's a discipline uh, the, first of all they, they think that yes science we have one thing over here we have knowledge and if you're a religion because I mean we operate on a 501c3 you know, <laughs> religious organization uh, we're a religion you don't have knowledge you, you have faith and that's, that's supposedly the big contrast. But I have to tell you that, that all processes of knowledge begin in faith. There's something there in the beginning that, 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 that is a, a given and that you accept. Even if you go to, go to school and you go to a science class in college, the guy's going to sit down and tell you about all these things uh, that, that quarks and, and gluons and muons and all those sorts of things which are literally unseeable, unperceivable uh, and you believe it you just accept it because you accept it on faith uh, uh, so anywhere you, any, anywhere you start you start, you, there's some teacher, there's some instructor they say in Sanskrit, your Adi Guru is your mother. Uh, you, you just have to accept your parents on faith. You've got, <laughs> you've got nothing else to go on. <laughs> so, so this, this is uh, this is part of the natural process. The thing is whether your faith is well placed or not is that's a that's another topic. But but that's that's no different uh, uh, in w what is called science. Uh, and so then they, they think that we just have faith. Uh, uh, but it's, a, it, it, we, it's, not, it's not just blind faith. We, we begin with a teacher. We begin with a body of knowledge. But then we perform also experience. We undergo experiences. Uh, 
uh, we, we, we undertake certain uh, activities that, are, that clarify consciousness. That this, the consciousness itself uh, is a spiritual uh, energy related to the, the jiva, uh, the words downstairs say jiva mukti, uh, the, 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 the jiva who is liberated from, from darkness. Uh, so the, the, it's the jiva, the living entity, whose, whose uh, uh, energy is consciousness. That's how we know the jiva is there, but that's where this consciousness comes from. It cannot be reduced or gotten away from. Uh, uh, you cannot deny it. If, so, if someone says, uh, I don't exist, who's saying it? This was Descartes' famous <laughs> understanding. You can't, can't deny your own existence as a conscious being because who's denying it? Uh, uh, and so his I think, therefore I am should really be I'm conscious. And that consciousness is simply undeniable. Uh, so, then this consciousness, there's a science of consciousness, how, how to clarify it. And you'll find this is described in the Bhagavad Gita in terms of the coverings of consciousness, of the mode of passion, the mode of ignorance, and the mode of goodness. And by undertaking certain disciplinary procedures, the consciousness can be clarified and expanded. Right now, it's covered consciousness. And the, the, that, that consciousness is limited. When we say the word I, what that I denotes for most of us is our own body and mind. But the Vedas say from the very beginning, aham brahmasmi, I am spirit. To say I am spirit means to say I'm not matter. And to say I'm not matter means to say I'm not this body. And when we say you're not the body, it also means you're not even your own mind. It's the consciousness. So this is a, there is a science that's repeatable. They, they say that, right, about science. It's very democratic. Uh, it's not special experiences of rarefied few people. Uh, anybody can do it. And you say, okay, let me do the experience. And they say, well, you know, first of all, First of all, before you can do the experiment, you have to understand our, our physics. That will be at least seven years. Uh, and then after seven years, uh, if, if we agree that you're, you're adept enough, then you can do the experiment. Then we'll let you near that equipment. So it's not really that most of us do any physics experience, experiments. We just accept it on faith of a few adept people. <laughs> <laughs> and most of us are not able to, to, to take that course uh, uh, and re enter those realms of esoteric uh, knowledge. Uh, but, uh, uh, and in a, in a way, much of yoga is the same way. I mean, especially when it comes to Asanga yoga, Hatha yoga, the, the people that really are good at it, they're like Olympic athletes of the spirits, you know, only a few people will actually be able to perform those austerities, leave the cities, go to the jungles, sit in the Himalayan caves, uh, 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 control their life air with such uh, ability that they, they completely would, don't even need to eat and only take a breath every so often. That's really tough. I remember running to some people up in Boston once who wanted to become breatharians, to live only on breath. You know, good luck in Boston. <laughs> but, but uh, there were people who could do like that. That that, that were that were this this uh, uh, skillful at, the, at these kind of things. So, uh, but uh, what we call what's known as bhakti yoga uh, is uh, these things are attainable by different methods uh, and suitable for people in, in Kali Yuga. Uh, but this, the, the same 
purification of consciousness needs to take place. Uh, and one, one, first of all, one has to want it. Uh, uh, one, uh, to to make, make progress in this science, you have to be just as dedicated as anybody who wants to get, you know, uh, an MD and a PhD and two PhDs and some advanced science. You have to be dedicated. You have, you have to really want to do it. You have to really give up a few things. I mean, if you, you want to advance in any field of knowledge, uh, you're going to have to be sitting there burning the midnight oil while all your friends are down in the bar laughing and drinking. You're going to have to perform some austerities. That just goes with achievement in, in any field. Or just to practice the piano over and over again. Or, but anything, you, it just requires practice and it requires application and study. Uh, so that, that requirement is universal for, for any kind of science. Uh, and it's there in spiritual science too. Uh, but it's, it's doable. Uh, and uh, we know how to do it. And by doing these few things, you should see, uh, at least for myself, uh, I'll just give one, one little personal story. When I first got interested, a little interested in Krishna consciousness, I'd been studying religions in graduate school for about three years when I ran across devotees of Krishna. And I'd spent undergraduate years in philosophy. And because I was very disappointed in the philosophers, I decided, and they all hated religion so much, <laughs> I decided to check out religion, and they were just starting up with these kind of uh, departments of religious studies in universities, so I was there. Uh, and uh, I, in my mind, I was trying to find out what seemed to me the world religions had in common and what, what seemed to me to be their highest level. And I decided that Buddha had said something that, that uh, summed it up when he said that uh, life is suffering, that is to say material life in this world is suffering. I, I didn't have any doubt about it. Of course, a lot of people don't believe that at all. But uh, to me, I, I could see it was true. Uh, he says the cause of the sufferings are our desires, our cravings, our attachments. And I could see that that was true. Uh, and he said you have, to be, you have to extirpate these desires. So I tried some, somewhat in, along those lines without uh, any success. And in fact, this was the 60s and people were going kind of really nuts in those days. Uh, and so it was a little difficult. And I happened to, as a, in a sort of a mood of an anthropologist, visit a Hare Krishna temple. Uh, and to my astonishment, a guy giving a talk was talking about these regulative principles of no intoxication, no illicit sex, no meat eating, no gambling those kind of things and I thought wow he's telling the truth it was very interesting to hear somebody say something like that and that you know the idea that you have to become free from material attachments or material desires and uh, and uh, I got really interested and then he talked about giving your senses spiritual engagement uh, and he suggested chanting the Hare Krishna mantra on beads to engage your tongue that way, so I let me do it. See what happens. It's just an experiment. I got a set of beads. Somebody showed me how to chant on them, and I sat down and I started chanting Hare Krishna, and my material desires started to go away. In fact, they started to go away very, very quickly, and I got kind of scared. Well, first, of course, I wanted them to go away, but I didn't know how soon. I wanted them to go away, you know, maybe not quite so fast. Uh, and then the other thing was what I was doing was very powerful. We had been taking some pretty heavy-duty chemicals for self-realization, and uh, it seemed like a couple of three words and some wooden beads would not be very dangerous, but this was like really heavy, and what was I getting into? And who were these very strange people, you know, the Hare Krishnas? Uh, uh, but it was working, uh, and, and I didn't expect anything like that to happen. And uh, I stopped chanting, 
uh, I felt horrible. I started again cautiously, went back. I got a book uh, just come had come out, Prabhupada's translation of the Isha Upanishad, which I'd already studied in several classes, which nobody understood. And here's somebody who not only seemed to understand it, but explained it in very simple language and one of the most, to me, sophisticated theologies I'd ever run across. And that I wondered, what were these crazy people doing with the theology that sounded sophisticated? I mean, they're jumping up and down the streets and chanting Hare Krishna. You don't expect people like that to have sophisticated theologies. You expect them to have naive folk religion and uh, holy rollers and people like that, you know. They had this. So that was my introduction to Krishna consciousness was, was uh, first of all, a practice that, that, that was, was doing something, that was actually changing consciousness in a way that at least I wanted to go, and which had, had uh, uh, a very sound, to me, philosophical, uh, intelligible uh, uh, background to it, because it was actually quite super sophisticated, even though it was... Uh, expressed by Prabhupada in very simple language. So that was my introduction to, to Krishna consciousness and as a science. Uh, and and, and uh, so here we, 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 sh we should not have this dichotomy, you know, that, that, that the science is over here and religion is over here. There is a spiritual science. Uh, and the world needs it very, very badly. And the spiritual science is the same everywhere. It's not that it, uh, if you go to any place where people are pursuing a spiritual path under whatever religious tradition, you'll find out the basic laws of spiritual life are pretty much the same. Uh, uh, because, because there's a lot of practice uh, and, uh, and a lot of a lot of achievement along those lines and it shouldn't just be this is for a few very special people who are different from the rest of us because the whole world needs it quite badly and uh, because because of this separation and then in, in the realm of the gross material world the secular world as I would like to call it you know where everything spiritual has been marginalized or put off to the side that where well, you can see what's happening uh, it's in a, a path of self-destruction, and it very, very, very much needs uh, some some actual guidance uh, from from people who are uh, spiritually advanced or advancing. Okay, I talked longer than I should have. No, no. Arjun, would you mind closing the door? One of one of the um, uh, questions that comes to mind for me is <clears throat> you began by giving us a bit of history and describing how science was really a product of the Enlightenment. And when I read about some of the great names from the Enlightenment period, these were religious people. The church and science were not always antithetical. Mm -hmm. right? There was a time when they were quite complementary and science was seen as a way of revealing the glory of God's creation. So at what point did we, you know, kind of fall off the cliff there? When, when did religion become anathema to science? When did those two things become well, well, in, totally irreconcilable? I mean, uh, there was, there was a, an anti-religious ideology. You know, the Enlightenment part, I mean, it was just like Newton. Uh, Newton showed that, you know, that there, there are certain laws of motion that described the world and made it very intelligible. And, uh, and then there was an analogy made uh, with the latest technology, the clock. And so the universe was like a clock. And it was just running by these natural laws. Uh, the idea of a miracle, somebody coming and interfering with them. Why? If your clock is well made and is working, why mess with it? And then God became, at the best, the guy who made the clock and wound it up and walked away. And, and so that, that, was that, that was starting then. 
There was also the idea that, uh, well, like one of the uh, French uh, Diderot, one of the French uh, philosophers of the Enlightenment, he said, uh, he said that mankind will never be free until the last king is strangled with the intestines of the last priests. <laughs> so there was definitely <laughs> that, that kind of thing uh, was, was going on. Now in the Middle Ages, everything was kind of still copacetic. I mean, there was science there too. Uh, and uh, Thomas Aquinas had taken Aristotle, which had, you know, done a, a pretty good job of making a, a, a fairly secular view of the world uh, and explaining motion and things like that, which Plato couldn't explain, and, and fit it to get fit it into Christian theology. That was his 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 his, his big thing. Uh, so some people were trying to somehow say they got together, they were harmonious, and that uh, uh, God worked this way. Uh, but um, uh, the 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 the, uh, the the Enlightenment project, you know, kept on going. Uh, then. There, there was the Industrial Revolution, which then followed that, and that was more applied science to, uh, to do, uh, give us that wonderful advancement of humanity, of uh, uh, industrializing uh, the world. And, uh, and, uh, and in the sense, you see, that, that the, for, for people, for, for most people, the idea of that science was something to give us the ability to dominate and control material nature. I mean, uh, science basically to, to predict and control material nature. So there is an effort always of trying to control material nature. And in that sense, it's a kind of a human god project because the traditional controller of material nature is God, or the gods. If you want to control it, you've got to get... If somebody else has their hands on the control levers, it will make it tough for you to do that. So there was always this, this idea, like, let, let us, you know, uh, 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 actually take charge of it. And then, you know, by the 19th century, Nietzsche was able to say, you know, they've murdered God. They're not even worthy of this crime. They don't even know they've done it now. But that this is, this is what, uh, what, 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 what is really happening. When he announced that God was dead, he was saying that you, people are still going to church. They're still following along. But really, you know, they, it, it, the, he said, your churches are just the tombs where God is buried. You don't, you're not like your ancestors anymore. And because the Industrial Revolution, commercialism, and more and more control of material nature, uh, uh, and a kind of setting up human beings as, as being like God now, we'll, as soon as we can, we'll, we'll find out how everything works, and then we'll make it do exactly what we want to do. And I still think that's still a driving force. Uh, that we could ultimately gain control over material nature and fix it. Now, technology has created a lot of problems. At least the less pious section of Americans believe that, that global warming is, <laughs> is, is our fault uh, and that we should fix it, you know. Uh, and one reaction is to this, uh, that if these problems are caused by technology, technology can solve them. You know, where people, other of us say, you know, look, we have to be turned to a, a simpler, more natural, more locally developed way of life. You know, the, 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 there's an ecological balance that's there in the world and we should try to live within it. You know, that's one idea. Uh, uh, but, but other people are, you know, oh no, you know, we can put gigantic Venetian blinds in outer space and they're so controlled the sunlight, you know, I mean, on and on and on, all these things that, 
that, that, that are going to do it that way because actually we can fix it. We are going, uh, going to do it. So this is the solutions to the problem of technology is more technology because we are human beings and ultimately we'll get it together. I mean, mo modern mythology, mythology has come back again, but modern mythology is science fiction. The whole thing that drives, we're going to conquer space. You hear that? Conquer space. Just think about it. Conquer space. It's big, isn't it? <laughs> but we're going to conquer space, right? Space was the new frontier. Now look what happened at the old frontier. <laughs> And at least you could grow crops over there, you know, over so But this is our idea, you know, every, you know, whatever happens in, in Star Trek, we're going to be able to do. We're going to have the hyperdrive. I mean, this, this is, this is what, what, uh, what people are after. What, what helps me in that explanation is the connection between enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution. I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection. The idea that over over history, there's a shift that's occurring in the definition of what it means to be human. Exactly. Yeah. Along sure. comes the Industrial Revolution, and all of a sudden, the idea of people as divine beings is supplanted by um, people uh, as uh, uh, desire-fulfilling machines. Tools. Tools, <laughs> and and uh, what's strange is we're going to leave here tonight, and we're going to walk outside, and we're going to walk down the street, and without anyone actually having to consciously say it or acknowledge it, we're stuck in that history. We're we're going under an assumption that really what drives me forward and what moves me to want to try hard at doing something is to fulfill those desires and needs and yearnings and wishes and hopes. And the, the notion of myself as something more than that, more than what science describes, has somehow disappeared. It's just kind of evaporated. So it's really a very revolutionary idea of bringing back that mystery, that thing that science cannot describe. Yeah. Well, it's another kind of science. I mean, it, really, there just has to be a, a science of consciousness, a science of, uh, of, of self-realization, of clarification of consciousness. There's a lot... If, you know, the, the Bhagavad Gita, for example, it says in the Bhagavad Gita, a very simple sentence, that, that, that knowledge, jnana, and by knowledge they mean what we would call spiritual knowledge, uh, depends upon sattva, goodness. That 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 all there, there's the three modes of material nature. Uh, my consciousness can be uh, uh, consciousness in the mode of goodness is clear, sattva guna, clear, very alert, super alert, ability to pay a great deal of attention, yet detached, interested yet detached. But in the Rajaguna, consciousness is intense, but it's narrowly focused on the objects of desire. Very much you want this, you want that, and you're fixed on it. Uh, uh, and that causes the way you see everything uh, uh, distorts your, your whole vision of everything else because, because of that narrow focus on the objects of desires. And then there's tamagum, uh, consciousness in the mode of darkness or in ignorance, where you're just befuddled. Uh, if you're in a high level of intoxication, that's tamagum, classical tamagum. And there are people like that all the time, oh, where, where you're just bewildered about everything. Uh, and, and, and so we're a mixture of these three qualities. Uh, and that, that what has to happen is gradually this Tamaguna and this Rajaguna should disappear. 
Well, wait, can I just ask something? It sounds it's very sectarian. I'm playing devil's advocate now. I mean, mathematics, you don't have to be in goodness for the math to work. The math works for everybody. Yeah, because this is not a science of numbers, it's a science of consciousness. Okay. It's about your own consciousness. It'll work for everybody. If you, can, if, if you can take it up. Now, there are some people that can't count. They will not become mathematicians. Does that mean mathematics is not valid? Uh, so there's some people that, especially those who are deeply in the mode of ignorance, they can have a very, very hard time. Uh, but you can make some progress. But you should see that, 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 that if, if we are making spiritual advancement, we should see that lust and greed and anger are decreasing. You can just tell. Are they going away? They're becoming less and less. Uh, and uh, as my consciousness becomes uh, clarified, what begins to happen is actually I, I should start to feel uh, a kind of happiness that seems not to have any reason. I'm not happy because of this or that or the other thing or satisfied. I'm just, it's just there. There's just this kind of inexplicable, unearned <laughs> happiness, which is actually getting, we're starting to get close to our, our natural state. Uh, and, and, and that, 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 that consciousness in, in the mode of goodness then develops more and more, and I can then experience, see myself more and more as a spiritual being, this idea, I'm not my body, I'm not this mind, uh, uh, starts to make sense, not just theori theoretical, but I, I can understand myself, Be because consciousness is part of the spiritual energy, it's sat-chit-ananda, uh, uh, and, and so you're beginning to experience that. And then as consciousness expands even more, it encounters that the, the, the consciousness is the, is, is the energy of the atma, the self, then it encounters Paramatma, the super-self, because there's two of us in this body, actually, uh, except that super-self we share among us, <laughs> uh, and that's a whole other level of, uh, of awareness. Now, the, these are actually, you can do the experiment. Now, this kind of experiment, you just can't do funny things to rats in cages. You have to make yourself... We're the, the experiment. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. We're the experiment with our own consciousness. Wonderful. I'm going to open this up a little bit. Let's let's get some other some of you guys in on the conversation. There's some amazing, wonderful concepts here. Yeah, Lauren. Yeah. There are some organizations like um, at the University of Berkeley, the Greater Good Science Center. The what? The Greater Good Science Center. Uh -huh. I think that's what it's called. They're applying the scientific method to studying mindfulness and meditation. Mm-hmm. And using the results of that to progress the practice. I don't think it's a spiritual science, as you're saying, but would you say the effort to do those things is on the path to yeah. developing spiritual science? Anything that increases your ability to pay attention is a beginning of a spiritual science. Just, just to focus your attention for, for any amount of time on anything uh, is, a, is a start uh, in, in that in that way, uh, but but most of most of the time, most of us go through life we're qu quite unconscious, and some of us very badly need to be unconscious. Uh, our life depends upon <laughs> upon not having our lives. If you're actually aware of what's going on around you or what you're doing to other people, or maybe what other people are doing to you, you'd have a very hard time carrying on, so... so We've got denial of the circumstances of our lives? Sure, sure, a lot, a lot of people are, are into it. They don't think they can do anything about it. Uh, sometimes you can't change it because, because you know, uh, circumstances you don't have the, the, the social or political leverage to, 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 to make a difference, but you can, uh, actually, the thing of it is, is that our actual happiness does not depend upon the course of material nature. 
Uh, and that's what a spiritual science does. It, the, 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 the happiness itself comes from the spiritual platform and, and, and exists in, 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 in all circumstances. Uh, uh, Krishna says something very interesting in the Bhagavad Gita. There's a verse in Sanskrit, he says, Yehi samsparsha ja bhoga dukkha yonaya evate. He says, those pleasures which arise from the contact between the senses and the objects are in fact the source of all suffering. I mean, that's bad news. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it means the world's just the opposite from what we think it is. And if we believe it, it'll destroy the economy. Uh, but that's what he says. Those, those pleasures which arise, we bring our sense, uh, senses into contact with their various objects, we feel some kind of pleasure, and we get attached to it. We want to repeat it and do it again. He said, but it's dukkha yonaya evate. It's the source of the breeding ground of dukkha. Now, wh why is that? Well, he says, one thing he says in that verse, those pleasures have a beginning and an end. And therefore, those who are wise, use the word Buddha, those who are wise, they don't take any delight in them. Uh, because that's one thing. They do come to an end. When your happiness, you, 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 okay, here it is, you know, I got a chocolate bar and I'm enjoying it, and then the chocolate bar is over. How do I feel? Well, I'm upset. Uh, uh, why are you upset? Well, I wanted to, you know, I was tasting this wonderful time. I wanted to keep on going. Any pleasure, you say to the people, you know, how did you feel when it stopped? They were let down, depressed, aggrieved, bereaved, bereft, you know, all kinds of levels of suffering. I think it's called shopper's remorse. Or she remorse, yeah, whatever. I felt bad. Why did you feel bad? Because I wanted my pleasure to keep on going. The next question is, how long did you want it to go on for? Well, how long did I have? Forever? Our, our manifest desire is actually for some kind of happiness that never comes to an end. If we're looking for it in a place where all happiness stops, it's an incompatible situation. So we're, and that idea that we want eternal happiness actually is very deeply rooted because it comes from the self. Because we are eternal and Satchitananda is our actual nature. And we look for it artificially by trying to make these temporary arrangements and they always fail us. Uh, they, 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 won't, they, they, won't, they won't measure up. Uh, we're looking in the wrong place. Wonderful. Other questions? Well, yes. Um, some people would argue that the practices, you know, these uh, long practices for years and trying to understand and, and do all these things may just be something that uh, you're tending to believe, you know, that you're, you're training your mind to, to believe that you're being happier. Mm -hmm. Just, just, just doing that. That uh, all these uh, uh, levels of oh, now, now I'm more spiritual like that. It's, it's just uh, something that that you're, that you know, something psychological, mm -hmm. uh, and that really there is no no need to to do any any of that. Let me look. Can I see if I can understand your question? Yes. It's a world of disappointments, and so how do we know that? This is whole construct here isn't something that we've just invented to make ourselves feel better? Yes. Yeah, something like that. Huh? Um, I, I, for, for, first of all, uh, the, the testimony on this uh, uh, business is quite uh, extensive. Uh, it comes from all over the world, from all kinds of different cultures and different traditions where the practices are the same. And uh, people do come to this same conclusion. Uh, uh, I think you're better off. Um, I think the testimony of people who have been pursuing wealth all their lives and the, in the end uh, are not happy is much more convincing. <laughs> <laughs> 
So proof that of negation. I've worked so hard, I've done so much, I've committed so many crimes to get everything I want, and now I have it, and now it's not what I want. A person who sets out in their life, and now after the end of, a, end of, end of 15 years of hard work, they now are a net worth of $4 billion, do they think that's enough now? Suddenly they want eight. Why? The, the, I, I, if you have to take somebody else's testimony for it, uh, uh, I, I, I would say that the, the, the testimony on this case is, is quite reliable. You can say I'm lying to myself, uh, but of course you wouldn't know, would you? I mean, that's your act of faith, that no one can have any happiness except by buying sufficient products uh, <laughs> and consumer goods. Uh, and happiness is just the next package from Amazon.com. Uh, <laughs> that's your experience. Well, there's a lot of the argument, though, on the part of some very intelligent people. I mean, some not ignorant people. Some of them quite impressive, and not only their accomplishments and the extent of their knowledge, but you know decent human beings, legitimately decent human beings, who say, if you have a real understanding of what science is, why would you ever even want to consider religion, or a god, or a Krishna, or anything that can't be seen? Uh, it can't well, be who says it can't be seen, it can't be proven? Come on. Mm -hmm. You just have to use the proper means. Are you, you know, I, 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 I mean, uh, you say, if, if, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of a good example, but, but, I mean, you, 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 if you, if you, you want to know what bitter is like, you have to put it on your tongue. Right? If you put the water on your head, you won't know whether it's sweet or bitter, right? I mean, there's a certain method uh, for, for detecting or understanding or undergoing certain things. Uh, and it can be seen, yeah, you don't have the eyes to see it. So, so, you, so, you, so, you, so you have to, you, you, have to, you know, I, if, if someone is colorblind, I can give you all kinds of testimony of the difference between, between red and green, but you can't see it. But but if but if there's some way that you can you can develop the capacity to see, you you you, you can you you can you can release the, the potential that's there, so that so that these these organs of spiritual perception which are now dormant can come back to life again, then you can't you can't say it's not there that you can't see it. That's a fascinating phrase you just used. Organs of spiritual perception. So you're saying that, that we possess tools of perception that are different from the ones I'm familiar with? Yes, exactly. Like I see with my eyes, yeah. I touch and feel with my fingers. There is another set of tools that I have? Yeah, the, the, yeah there is. There, there is. And, and, and the ones that you, the, 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 the organs that we have now, They'll just work in a different way. So it's the They'll same tools, but they're working. same tools, but now they're in, 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 they're they're enhanced. And that enhancement comes with this practice. Yeah, exactly. Be, 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 because because um, uh, well. Nothing is different from Krishna. That Krishna is different from everything. You can see that. You can see that. There's nothing but Sri Krishna. You can see that. Yet nothing is Sri Krishna save and accept his own primeval personality. You can see that too. I remember once Prabhupada was walking with some disciples and one of them was taking the part of a material scientist you know, playing that part. 
making objections to what Prabhupada was saying. He's like, you know, you're doing here, what Prabhupada was saying. And, he, and, he, and the, the devotee said, but Prabhupada, we haven't seen, you know, the role of a scientist. And Prabhupada said, what have you seen? The inside of your mother's womb. <laughs> we say wet behind the ears or something, you know. What have you seen? It's true, it's kind of presumptuous to say. We, yeah, kind of right, right. Like we have time for another few questions if you'd like to, if you'd like to ask. Yes? A uh, few things come to my mind, you know, when you were talking a little bit about, um, like, like, since science started from figuring it all out. So I think that, of course, you know, the seeking or figuring it out is from the root of consciousness only. Even the science project to figure everything out or ourselves out is the origin is consciousness. And then like when you said it's a God project now to it's going to be a God project to we are going to be in control of everything. And uh, how does religion has a role in or the religion, uh, if it's real religion, it wants to serve God and not become God. But, uh, you know, there's this idea that, we, that that's our destiny to actually, uh, since we've gotten rid of this mythology of a God, now we can ourselves uh, uh, become God. That is to say, I, can, I can, can become the controller of material nature and, uh, and, and make ourselves over again. It's in science fiction all the time, you know. Sometimes, of course, it's dystopian that we screwed it up, but but uh, that's 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 what people uh, want to do. I, I mean, the, the 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 our problem, why we're in the material world, uh, why we're considered fallen souls, is basically that we are here uh, in all because uh, because we couldn't say, yes, I'm glad, Krishna, you're God, now I want, I want, I'd rather do it myself now, I'd, I'd rather take that, that position. So people do have God projects. Uh, they want, uh, Prabhupada gives the example, if you can't boss anybody around, you get one dog and now you're the master. You're, <laughs> you're the controller. And I've told the story a couple of times, I worked in an office once where there was the, the person who was the lowest person on the totem pole was this, this lady who was uh, the receptionist. Uh, uh, but one thing that she controlled was the supply closet. And she had the key to the supply closet. So uh, you had, if you wanted uh, tablets or typewriter ribbon, this was a long time ago, but typewriter ribbon or any of those things, you had to go and you had to like, uh, kind of uh, offer your respects and spend some time and you know show your uh, obey pay your obeisance um, and if you didn't you had to you know buy them out of your own pocket money <laughs> because you wouldn't <laughs> you couldn't get those things so that was you know she didn't control very much but what she did she was uh, so we have these projects like that to promote ourselves and become bigger and to become greater and all, all these things, but what do we get in this world? I mean, the fact is, we we uh, we are we are trying to deny death. We're trying to deny our own mortality. We're, we're, we 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 we've got this idea that somehow I'm in this world, and there's something important for me to be doing with myself. My life has some significance, but if you just look at on the basis of the material body, what happens? You, you live your life, you do something, you make some achievement, and what is, what is the result? Oh, I got a nice obituary in the New York Times. They really write very good obituaries. And that's what I got. Yeah, it's not worth it. Uh, so people are trying to make themselves worthwhile or to be something significant, and they, often it turns into to a God project. But the real thing is, we have this... It, from. from because we are spiritual beings. And by the way, I mean an ant or a frog is also a spiritual being. But the, 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 the same spirit soul in a human body now has a little more 
uh, expression of, of consciousness. It can be a little more uh, uh, expanded. How far does that extend, by the way, that God project? I mean, does it extend to animals and insects and birds, or is that just uh, crazy humans? Well, they all want to dominate and control, I think, in some ways. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, it would seem... It would so seem it's all that. species, in one way or another, share that. Yeah, I don't know about plants, but, but definitely animals. You look at the food chain, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, we do have a special destiny, and it's because of our expanded consciousness, but we don't, but we don't have any instruction on how to deal with this, this, the idea that I, that here's my life, I should be doing something really worthwhile with it, and then, you know, suddenly, you're 80 years old, all that time has passed, and you're saying, what the hell happened? What was that all about? <laughs> you have no idea. Uh, it's good not to be in that position. <laughs> and that's where some, most people are. You know? I've heard some fascinating things here that I had never considered before. First of all, the fact that a spiritual, in spiritual science, we are the experiment. Hadn't thought of it. Uh, the fact that the God project is a way of describing our condition in this world, the conditioning that we live with is asserting our own supremacy over something mm -hmm. or someone. It may be petty, but we're doing it in one form or another. And that, um, that there's a history here. It was not always thus. There was a time prior when something about the sanctity of life was more prominent and over the course of discovering what we can invent and ways of manipulating matter we became more subject to our own desires and cravings mm -hmm. and that transcendent sense of ourself was lost and the transcendent self, uh, sense of by the way in one sense Every everything is spiritual, ultimately. Not only do we see ourselves as spiritual beings, but also recognize all other living beings the same way. That's gone too. Would you join me, please, in thanking Rabindra Swarup for having you know, our guest?